Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, praise God. Today we're going to take a reading from um, 2 Chronicles. If you can turn to your Bibles to 2 Chronicles, chapter 20. From verse 1, after this, that is chapter 19, where Joshua appointed judges across Judah, Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. You see that? He was alarmed. He, he panicked first, but then he went straight to inquire of God. That's what we need to do sometimes. When we get alarmed with a situation, we need to run to God first. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Verse 4, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, They came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in the front of the new courtyard and said, I love this prayer, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Isn't that amazing? Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and the children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. 
Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Say, very loud voice. Amen. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and says, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. That's the prophet Jehaziel who gave that word saying, Do not be discouraged, King Jehoshaphat. After consulting the people, verse 21, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord. Our God is good, for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And just skipping right to the end of t- to 29, the fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Amen. Amen. Well, when we become a Christian, we give our lives to God. We start on a journey with him. And um, it could be a tough journey sometimes. And as we get serious with God and we realize his plan for us, we embark in a battle spiritual battle as well as all the worldly stuff around us we are in a little battle sometimes big battles as well but God is such a good God he's not left us alone he's given us tools for the job he's given us weaponry for the job he's given us some great ammunition for our battles but as we've read these aren't our battles the battles are God's and now another word that I would like to use to describe our armory, our tools, is the word arsenal. Hallelujah. Do I hear an amen to that? Right. Arsenal. The dictionary word of arsenal is, um, I don't know where I found this one, it says, Team North London dominates England, the world. But No, that's the wrong one. This is another definition of the word arsenal. Government establishment for storage or manufacture of weapons and ammunition. Little did they know that when the, the workers in Woolwich Arsenal, South London in 1886 decided to have a kickabout and form a football team, they would conquer the world. Well, they haven't really, have they? Can't even conquer England, let alone the world. But little did they know that the name Arsenal would uh, mean that. But that's what the Arsenal means. It means weapons. So God has given us... Weapons, an arsenal of weapons. So I've called today the Christian's arsenal, forgive me. Now, if you're, if you're an Arsenal fan, so you can sit, please, yeah, if we have an arsenal of weapons, if you're a Spurs fan or anything else, I just have to just say amen that you've got an arsenal of weapons too. <laughs> okay. The first weapon that God has really given us is his Bible, isn't it? It's better than any gun, anything. This is the word of God. This is a great part of the arsenal that we have. The precious holy book of God. God's creation, everything. God, from creation, 
creating us in his image. A chosen people. After the fall of man, after we allowed sin to come in. Continued story of rebellion, repentance, forgiveness. Rebellion, repentance, forgiveness. And then Jesus comes. God sends his son as the ultimate act of love for, his, for the world. Not just for his people now, but for the world. And that's what we've been singing about this morning, that act of love. And that's what the Bible says. And then it describes the early church. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will send the Spirit to you. It comes at Pentecost. It's here now. The early church outrose. And in Revelation, the predicted time of Jesus' second coming. But is it all true? Is the Bible really true? The Holy Spirit for me makes me fall in love with the Bible more. If you don't love your Bible, I think the Holy Spirit will show you to love it more. You can never tire of reading it. You can read it many times over, but it will teach you again and again so much more about God. That's the mystery of God, because he teaches you again and again. You can read the same chapter five times, but then the sixth time, it will teach you something different. Because at that time, the Holy Spirit will reveal something else you need to know at that point of the same story. You may know a story so well, but it will teach you something else as you come to read it again for the umpteenth time. That's the power of God and his Holy Spirit and the word of God. Now, I believe that in every single human being in the world, there's a God particle in all of us. In every one. You know, when the explorers were leaving these shores and visiting new lands and things, they always came upon an indigenous people, a tribe of people who were worshipping something. Whether it was gods or trees or gods of nature or suns, they were worshipping something. There was always that thing in them to worship, to pray to something. Never did they meet some atheists. Really, did they? They didn't meet atheist groups. Oh, there's no God. They were always meeting tribes, worshipping something. We see God's glory around us. It cries out. It cries out. Psalm 19, 1 to 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. That's why these people are always worshipping. Because creation is screaming out of a creator to worship. We see God's glory around us. But as we then get consumed with all the materialism, we push God aside we focus on all the things of life. But as we've seen now recently, you know, over, over these last few centuries, it doesn't satisfy. There's a move back to spirituality, meditation, yoga, whatever you want to call it. Because people are now seeking something again. They're pushing aside the Bible and God, but they're seeking something. Magazine shelves now and shops are filled with spiritual magazines now. Come back to your spiritual side. Because people are seeking it again, aren't they? There's books out there all the time now, self-help books. You know, because cause we realise that there is, with man's trying to undo what he's done. We've gone away from God, now we're trying to get back into God again with other things. Now, when I, in my early years of Christianity, I, I was given books of other th- things as well. You know, hypnosis books, you know. 
and and it, it cracked me up really. I was reading these chapters and it was crazy. And I was doing these things, trying to yes, be instant confidence. One was book called it's called Instant Confidence, and and one of the chapters. I've, I think I said this story a couple of years ago, but many new faces here. So you haven't heard it, all right? And you know, he says, look into the mirror. If you're an un- not very confident person, you're weak and you're fearful, look into the mirror and picture someone in that mirror you admire and someone who can give you confidence and will give you the strength. So I thought, yeah, I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. So there's the mirror and I thought, yeah, bit of Richard Gere or Pierce Brosnan or something, you know, bit of James Bond going on. All right, so I thought, yeah, and then he says, Look in the mirror and say, I am that. I am him. I am him. So, I am James, I am James Bond. I am James Bond. Yeah, yeah. And then you end up trying to copy him. Yeah, money penny. I'm James Bond. I'm James Bond. Then you end up walking like him and, you know, all this. And people say, what's your name? Cassidy. Steve Cassidy. You know, and this is what the book's trying to tell you. It's trying to tell you to be someone who you're not. But all the while, God's screaming in my ear, you're not James Bond, you're Stephen Cassidy. You're Stephen Cassidy. I made you, you. You don't need his instant confidence hypnosis book. The Bible says, Psalm 139, 13, 16, I made you in your inmost being. Your mum, your mum's tummy. I made you, you, not James Bond. I made you Stephen Cassidy. I made you Liliana, not Jennifer Lopez. There's only one you. You're unique and beautiful. There's only one of you. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. There's only one of you. There's only one Laura Pastor. Gracias a Dios por eso. There's only one of his, you're unique and beautiful. You haven't got to be anyone else. Not even James Bond. Anyway, who wants to be James Bond? He's in and out of relationships. He's got a drink problem. Isn't he? But what has this got to do with the story we just read? Just saying that the Bible is everything we need, isn't it? This is the weapon. The, that weapon saved me. Because God's screaming out saying, I made you, you. you I have a plan for you. He has a plan for every one of us. He loves us with an unending love. The Bible is the self-help book we need. And this is the book that Jehoshaphat, he knew the law of God. So Jehoshaphat, the story we just read, applied it in his battle. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Jehoshaphat knew the law of the Lord. King Jehoshaphat in chapter 17, a few chapters before, he knew the importance of it. His predecessors had, had worshipped false idols and, and, and gone away from God and this upset God. But, but Jehoshaphat was determined, a bit like his father, to, to get the land back in, into relationship with, with God again. And in chapter 17, he, he ordered some of his teachers and uh, priests to Go all over the country and teach the word of God again. Um, in ch- chapter 17, it says, In the third year of his reign, in verse 7, he sent his officials 
Why have I chose this verse? Because it's so many difficult names in it. Ben Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, Micaiah to teach in the towns of Judah. With them were certain Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniel, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemaramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tob, Tob Adonijah. And the priests, Elishama and Jeron. They taught throughout Judah, taking them the book of the law. They went to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. King Jehoshaphat made sure that his kingdom knew the law. The Old Testament law. He, he made sure because he knew that he can stand on the law of the Lord. He knew how important it was. He knew that the law of the Lord was so important. He meditated on the law of God too, Jehoshaphat. So when this battle arose, he knew how to pray about it with the word of God. He meditated on it. He knew the significance of the law and verses like Numbers 23.19. So when the battle arose, he knew this verse in his mind. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He got that verse and he knew the importance of that verse, didn't he? He, he knew it was truth. God, you, you're not man to lie, Lord. Save us from this battle, Lord. He, he knew the promises given by God to his predecessors, Abraham, about the land was going to be theirs. He knew the promises of God were yes and amen. A loving and forgiving God, he knew it. And when this situation came, he applied the word of God to this situation. And that prayer he says from verse 5, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of your nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So he knew the story. He knew what God, by his word, would do for him. He quoted it. God, aren't you not? And when you have the word of God now, he prayed with it. The second part of your arsenal is prayer. The word and prayer combined with that spirit is powerful stuff. He applied the word of God with prayer. Instant access to God. No dodgy Wi-Fi. You can pray directly to God. There's no passwords to keep asking people. How many people go to your house and say, you've got a Wi-Fi password? got a Wi-Fi All the time. But no, there's no Wi-Fi password to pray to God. Instant access. By Jesus, we have instant access. He's our priest praying for us as well. And when Jesus was tempted in the desert, in Luke 4, how many times did he say, it is written. Man will not be tempted alone. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jehoshaphat knew it was written. Jesus says it is written. So in our battle, we can say, it is written, God. Did you not say you would deliver me, Lord? Didn't you say in your word, it is written. A lesson from Jehoshaphat's life that we can take on is to give God everything. There are a couple of decisions in his life that we didn't read, but just before and after what we just read, 
He didn't consult God in two other areas of his life. One was in an alliance with a, an evil king. And one was about a shipbuilding program that he wanted to do at the end of this chapter. But both ended in disaster. He only consulted God when it got to the serious issue of an attack against him. But what that tells us is that we need to put God in everything. He's interested in every small detail of your life. Every small detail of your life. From the job hunting you're finding, from everything. I pray for many people where uh, people say, well, God's in not, it's, it's too small a thing, my job, for God. You know, is other important things in the world to pray for? Yes, there is. But God is interested in your job too. Lift that up to him too. He's interested in every small detail of your life because nothing's too small for God. It's all small for God. Everything. When this problem arose with the armies building up against him, Jehoshaphat, as we just learned, taught the word, didn't he, to all the people of Judah. So when he called a fast and a prayer, all the people knew too about God. They too knew what had to be done. They joined together in unity as a powerful prayer unit. And that's why Tuesday nights are important too, to, to come together in unity, to pray together. Because a thousand voices singing up together in prayer and unity is a powerful weapon. Another part of our arsenal is unity. They all knew the law and the word of God and knew the promise of God. And Jehoshaphat called a fast. This was no 24-hour caffeine fast or a chocolate fast for a week or just ban Chris for a couple of days. This was a fast of everything. You know, Can you imagine having a fast from email for a week or Facebook? Oh, that's a tough one. You know, I, I've been going through some media fast recently and it's, it's incredible. I, you know, when the phone's there, you know, TV, no, just, just get in with God. It's all kind of fast. If they had them in them days, they would have fasted from that as well. This was a serious situation. Fasting is an example of getting serious in our prayer life with God. It's humbling ourselves before him and saying, God, we can't do nothing without you. This is our battle, Lord, but we can't do it, Lord, without you. And when there's distractions and you've got a serious issue, you've got to get rid of those distractions. This is a serious issue. You've got to get with God. You know? And in these days as well, as it comes to this point in our history of the world, more and more things are clamoring for our attention all the time. Especially in this, in this side of the world, in this Western world. But we have choices to make. You can devote yourself to the Bible and learn more, or the Sun newspaper. Spend more time with the Lord, OK Magazine. Time with the Lord, just rubbish programs on TV. You have a choice. We have a choice to make. But when the battle, the big battle arises in your life like King Jehoshaphat, the real battle, what will become apparent before God is how much time you spent with him before Will it become then a prayer of desperation because you haven't spent too much time with God before and it's desperate prayers? Or if you've been with God in communion very regularly 
and all the days of your life, then, then comes a desperate situation. The prayer becomes to God a prayer because you acknowledge him more. You, you've been with him. It's an easier kind of prayer because you've been walking with him and you trust him, you trust in his work because you've been spending time with him. It's still desperate, but less desperate, if you know what I mean. And they humbled themselves before the Lord. In verse 13, after the prayer, it says, All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. So even their babies were all, well, not maybe standing, but they're doing something before the Lord. All these people just standing before the Lord, waiting on God. Waiting on God. Sometimes we have to wait on God. Sometimes we want instant prayer answers. But they waited on the Lord. And God will answer prayers in his time. In his time. And in prayer and in unity in prayer, God will then pour out his spirit and you will hear the voice of God in response to your prayer. Here his spirit was poured out on Jehaziel, the prophet, and they listened to the voice of Jehaziel and trusted it was God. We need to just keep our ears attuned to the prophets and the word of God and hear his answers to our prayers. In verse 18, it says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Jerusalem and Judah fell down in worship. Humbling, isn't it, from a king just to bow down face to the ground Father, we acknowledge we can't do this without you. Sometimes they say the battle starts on our knees. The battle starts on our knees, a humility and a humbleness before the great king. But we can't do it. And God sees that, that humility in us. We need to revere God too like that. We need to get that reverence back for God. Our lives are a blink. They really are a blink in the time of the whole world. We need to get back to God as a holy God, a precious, forgiving, loving God. He is God. He is Lord. Jehoshaphat knew that. He was a king, Jehoshaphat, but he knew that God was God. And after the prayer and the word of God, King Jehoshaphat knew that God was faithful. Even though the thing was bleak, and there was a big army waiting for his, for his people. They didn't have a chance. But he goes, God, we prayed, we've worshipped, we're now we're going to worship even greater now. We're going to praise your name. And that's another part of our arsenal, is our worship of God. Is our worship. To worship the Lord is an incredible part of your arsenal. Forgive me Spurs fans. Is an incredible part of your arsenal. <laughs> you know, we all like songs. You know, the, and the worship teams that we have, Holy Spirit filled worship, and you can have the best guitarists, the best musicians, but if there's no heart for God, what are we doing? We need a heart of God in our worship too. King Jehoshaphat was facing defeat. They were heading for a real defeat. But he knew that worship was an important part of winning this battle. 
Psalm 47.1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. You know, the European football championships are starting soon. There'll be many nations clapping and shouting. I love football. I love it. Um, before I became a Christian, I was an addict Arsenal fan, hence why we're using the name Arsenal a lot here today. Many years of terrorist chanting, all the, oh, forgive me for the songs, Lord. Oh, Lord, yes, forgive me for that one. Some of the songs you sing on the terraces, whoosh, oh, Lord. Just remind me of some of them. Sorry, Lord. I didn't mean that, Lord. It was, it was the 30,000 others, wasn't it? You know, and there was just example. There's one song that leader, one of the leaders in the, in the big terraces, would say, "Give me an A," and everyone would go, "A, give me an R, I'm glad he didn't stop there. That's for sure, right? And then it would carry on right through the word Arsenal, and at the end it goes, "Put it together. What have we got?" And everybody else goes, "Arsenal." This is the kind of songs we sing. But we can do it as a church. Give me a J. Put it together. What have we got? Jesus. 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 Come on, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. People outside be thinking, and the neighbours be thinking, I thought I'd move to a quiet church. There's a football stadium next door. But verse 19, in the passage we just read, let's read verse 19. After they fell down and bowed before God and worshipped him, verse 19 says, Then some Levites, from the Kohathites and the Korahites, stood up, praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Some of them, we don't know how many there was. There's two tribes, Korahites, Kothites, Levites. They're all standing up. I bet they went, give us a Y-A-W-E-H, Yahweh. Yahweh. That's what they were doing. They were worshipping God with a very, very loud voice. Very loud voice. That's what it says. When we lift up God in praise, it lifts gloom. It gives us hope. When he lifted up, they started praising God. When they praised God, the situation and the darkness situation broke away. Light came in. God is good. Let's keep praising him. This situation, let's give it to God. Let's keep praising him. It lifts the gloom. If there's anything bigger in your life at the moment, that's a big battle. Come on, let's start lifting his name. Let's start getting into his presence. He's bigger than your situation. Let's just praise him and trust in his word that he will break it. He will break it. Worship him in your homes. Fill your homes with worship. Praise him for the king. Fill your homes so when a situation comes, it'll be easier. Because your home already is a temple of worship. And when we worship, the devil just disappears. He hates it. Can't stand it. 
He doesn't like our worship of the king. He's out of here. He's out of here. He doesn't want to know. So worship in your homes, he's gone. Verse 20 to 22, Jehoshaphat continues. Verse 20 says, Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and says, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out of the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. They go into battle. There's the army and there's the worship team in front going before them. Give thanks to the God. Come on, Lord, let's keep singing. Can you imagine the skeptics and the doubters thinking, what on earth are they doing? You're going to get your kicked in. That's what they're thinking. Imagine the scene. The armies. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. He's above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise. Sing praise. He's worthy. Going into battle with worship. Come on, let's worship God. And God delivered them. They didn't even have to do anything. Because the armies turned on each other. And defeated each other. And Jerusalem and all the armies of Judah went back home. And peace was around them. The battle was God's. He dealt with it. But they went into the battle with praise, worship, word and prayer. It was their arsenal. It was their weapons. And God delivered them from that battle. Amen. He's worthy of praise in all situations. Psalm 63, verses 3 to 5. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Isn't that beautiful? We need to apply that in every situation in our life. It's easy to sing when it's all feeling good. We need to do that in the tough times too. So from Jehoshaphat, what we can learn, this battle, he committed it to God. Acknowledging that only God can save them from this battle. Acknowledging that only God can save the nation. He sought God's favour because his people were God's people. They were his chosen people. So God, I'm looking for favour upon you, Lord. These are your people, God. And he acknowledged God's sovereignty. Humbly over the situation. Why, Lord? He got on his knees, bowed on the ground, says, Lord, I give it to you. Humbly gave it to God. Humbleness. And then he praised God's glory and took comfort in the promises of God because he knew the word of God. Because he knew the word of God, he took comfort in it. And praised God. Didn't he? He praised him. Pointing worship teams and singers and he professed complete dependence upon God not on his own strength remember when the situation arose he ran to God 
run to people first. So it's good. We need just to give God a, he deserves our attention first in all situations. Then he will give us the people around us to support us and to pray with us. But let's seek God first. He's waiting for your prayer. And to focus entirely on God's power rather than our own power. God is all we need. And as we seek God in all these areas of prayer, word and worship, he will impart in our lives purpose for us. He will give us purpose and direction in our lives. He will give you a vision. Another part of your arsenal is vision. What God's got for you. His promises are for you. That's vision. And we live in expectancy for him and with gratitude and sincere hearts. So when a tough situation comes, we're still grateful. We've still got sincere hearts. Lord, I trust in you in this situation. Whatever I'm going through, Lord, you are still God. You are still sovereign. And I humble before you, Lord. I give it all to you. He knew all this, Jehoshaphat. How to learn and trust in the word. To pray with the word. It is written. It is written, says Jesus. And to worship and sing praises to God in the heat of battle. In the heat of battle, to sing praises to God. Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.